Let's turn to Matthew chapter 14. <clears throat> Last time we were in Matthew, we looked at the feeding of the 5,000 plus Jesus and the disciples. They were supposed to go on a little break, but it didn't turn out that way. And it, it, you know, how often do things turn out the way that we plan them? They're not always going to be the way that we expect. And, and so all these people showed up. They're, on, they're supposed to be on a break, a retreat. In advance, <laughs> to go get apart is what they're supposed to do. Come apart so they can get alone with Jesus and, and get some rest and get a break. And, and it didn't turn out that way. All these people showed up. Jesus said, well, they're here. I, gotta, I, I need to minister to them. I need to love them and have compassion on them and heal them and speak to them about the kingdom of God. But then it started getting late, and the disciples in all their w- great wisdom you know, they said, we got to send all these people away so they can go get food. It's getting too late. We can't do anything. They need to go. But the truth of it is, Jesus kind of points this out, is that they were right where they needed to be, which was with Jesus. When we have needs, that's where we need to be with Jesus. We don't go out and try to find it somewhere else. Jesus doesn't say, you know, that's too big for me. You go over there. And then he and then he kind of turns it around a little bit and he says to the disciples, you give them something to eat. Well, he, it says in John, he knew that he, what he was going to do and he, he's saying these kinds of things to them to test them. But of course, we know they didn't have very much, did they? How much did they have? Five loaves and two fish. And they were tiny loaves and they were tiny little sardines. Possibly. Probably. But this is where God's math comes into play, that God's math is not our math. And God took what they had. He had them bring it to Him. It says then that He looked up to heaven and He broke. He gave thanks and He broke these things that they had given to Him. And He gave those pieces to the disciples and they went and distributed. So they got to be really involved in this miraculous work that Jesus was doing. Jesus did it, but He involved them, right? Jesus is doing great things today, but he, he wants to involve you and me. And that's miraculous. It's miraculous what He does, but it's also miraculous that He would want to involve you and me in doing anything in this world. But that's what He's chosen to do. So the, the lesson really is and was that we need to bring what we have to Him. It doesn't matter how much or how little we have. And see what He does. I got an email from a guy in Costa Mesa. <clears throat> he said, my name is David. And he sent this to probably a lot of Calvary Chapel, uh, you know, churches. He said, I have a hip replacement. I can't do very much. I attend Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa. I hope you will read this email. I thought it might be of some interest in, to you. It says, it, it shows what the Lord can do if we listen to him and then follow what he has to say. My wife and I belong to what we call the Red Wagon. And the Red Wagon is just a name for our church group that feeds the homeless on Mondays and Thursdays. We feed approximately 275 homeless people every week. He said, over the years I have prayed for something I could do for the church. I can't carry a tune, can't teach, etc. He says, well, finally the Lord spoke to me. And as I was wrapping the forks and the spoons into the napkins... Our health department requires us to do this. The Lord told me we're feeding the homeless food, so why not give them a Bible verse to take with them? 
He says, well, I finally found something that I can do. I print out these Bible verses every week. He, he makes the first one by hand, and then he copies them, and he cuts them, and he puts them in with the fork and the whatever, the fork and the spoon. You say, I can't do anything. What little I have, what can I give? This guy says, and he, and he sent these out to the churches, I think, just to encourage people to do something. Whatever, it, whatever you can do, do something, do anything. Offer what you had to Jesus and see what you'll do. That's exciting, isn't it? Today we're looking at the passage about walking on water. And I think it's probably one of the most familiar passages in the New Testament. How many of you have not heard about Jesus walking on the water? Not a, not a single person. Maybe some of you are. I would never tell them that. Jeez. <laughs> What is this walking on water thing? I should know about it because everybody else does. But really, this story is so well known, and, and, and it's in three of the Gospels. There's one part in this uh, account that is not found in the other two about Peter. But it really, it talks about storms, it talks about faith, and it talks about miracles. It does talk about walking on water. It talks about what's happening in the lives of these disciples. And I think we can apply it to ourselves and apply it to what's happening to you and me, the storms that happen in life. Now, let me ask you a question. Do any of you ever get seasick? Man, I do. I can, you know, I can go out on the bay if it's kind of calm. But you, once you leave out into the open ocean, forget it. I, you know, all I can think about, all I want is to get back onto land because it's so rough He's laughing here because he's from the Coast Guard. He's retired from the Coast Guard. His wife is active Coast Guard. They get seasick too? But you know, they're out on this Sea of Galilee, and, and the Sea of Galilee is known for the fact that storms can come up at a moment's notice all of a sudden when they left. I don't think it was that way when they left. But they went out, and storms can come up, and I've seen it, uh, literally, when, being out there and seeing the wind and, and waves start out of nowhere, seemingly. And so they're out in this bay, and, and, and it's radical, things are happening out there, and, and life is kind of like that too, and we get kind of seasick in life. How many times are we like that where the things are just going so on, and, and you just start feeling almost sick because of what's happening in life? You just wish it would calm down. You wish you could get back onto the land. Well, let's read the account. Let's look at the story here. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. It says, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. So immediately after the feeding of the 5,000, it says Jesus made the disciples. And that's a very strong word. It means uh, compelled. He says, this is what I want you to do, and I want you to do it right now. And he had his reasons for doing that. Some think maybe it was because in John's Gospel, it talks about the fact they were ready to make Jesus king right then and set him up. And this was not the time. Obviously, the cross was yet to come. The cross was yet ahead. So, but Jesus said, you know what? I want you to get in this boat, and I want you to go, and I want you to go where? I want you to notice this. Where did he say for them to go? To the other side. That's very important that you notice that. He, he made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him 
to the other side. And so they got in the boat and they went. And when Jesus wants us to do something, it's always, always a good idea what? To do what he says. To do what he says. Verse 23, it says, After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. This was Jesus' regular practice, wasn't it? To spend time, to get alone with the Father, to pray, to talk to Him. And you think, well, He was God in the flesh. He was God the Son. Why would He ever need to do that? Because it was important. Because it was good. Because it was healthy. Because it was right. And the communication between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, between the Trinity, is, is, is where we can understand what true fellowship and communication is. I believe he needed it. He wanted it. And if he did it, shouldn't we? If Jesus, the Son of God, regularly went and found a place by himself alone just to talk to the Father, shouldn't we? The question is, do we ever do it? It's a, such a busy life, isn't it? Man, I got barely enough time to watch, you know, my television programs. I don't have enough time to, you know, uh, to take care of all my, my toys and my boat and my, you know, I don't have a boat, <laughs> just so you know. There is a kayak in my backyard, but it's not mine. <clears throat> but you know what I'm saying. We, we don't have enough time. We're so busy with all this stuff to spend five or ten minutes alone with God is like, wow, I, I'll, see if, I'll see if I can schedule you in somewhere, God. And he's going like... If we're going to follow Jesus, we need to follow, not just in baptism, but in, in the other things that Jesus did. And that's what we see him doing. Ultimately, I don't care if we're married single, ultimately we have kids, we have family, we have lots of friends. Ultimately, it's between me and God. Ultimately, when you get to the end of the road, it's between you and God. Individually, each one of us. We can't depend on anybody else in the end. It's between me and God. So what kind of relationship do I have with him? Have I made any kind of relationship? Look at verse 24. It says, after, it says but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Now we see them again. Things change very radically on the Sea of Galilee and, and they're, they're now out in the middle of the sea and they can't seem to make any headway. And we ask the question again, who sent them there? Who sent them there? I can't hear you. Jesus sent them there. Jesus sent them into the middle of the Sea of Galilee where the storm was set to come up. Did he not know? Uh, Jesus said, uh, you know, I, I, I forgot to watch the, the weather forecast. I didn't know that Gary Lay didn't tell me that, that it was going to be a storm out there today. No, this is Jesus, the Son of God. He knew exactly what was going to happen out there. Did he not or did he? And so he sent them out there to the middle of the Sea of Galilee and there was a storm going to come up. Why, why would Jesus send his disciples into the middle of the storm? Does he ever send you and I into the middle of storms? 
I wish he wouldn't. I really wish he wouldn't. Like I told you, I get so seasick on these storms. I get so, you know, like messed up. And, and again, when, when, when you get seasick, if you've ever been seasick, you know that there is nothing you can do. Or just, you know, just pull yourself up by the bootstraps and, and just, you know, get up and walk around and do what you need to do and you're going to be fine. No, you're laying on the deck of that boat waiting for it to get back to land so you can crawl onto the land. And that's all you can think about. That's all I can think about. So don't ask me to go out and deep sea fishing or anything, just so you know. Because I'll say no. It was his will. It was his will for them to be out in the Sea of Galilee during that storm. We have to know that. We have to know that he's bigger He's bigger than just the storms of this life. And that, that if we're following him and he's directing us and we're, we're, you know, we're following you know, the, the will of God, that there is safety in being in the middle of his will. We're safe in his will, even though there might be storms in this life and in this world. But then again, Jesus sent them out onto the sea Previously, he was with them, Matthew chapter 8. We looked at that some time ago. He was with them in the boat. At least he was with them in the boat, right? He, he went out there and the big storm happening and Jesus was in the boat. Well, yeah, but he was sleeping. But now he sent them out there and he's not even in the boat anymore. So where is he? Where's Jesus? Where? And, and you know, you and I say this, I know I do. Like, where are you? Like, do you not know what's going on? You, you sent me here? I ask, and where are you now? Like, you know, at least the last time this happened, you were like here, and I kind of knew you were here, and you might have been sleeping, but, uh, you know, at least you were there, and you, you know, got right up and helped us out. Where is Jesus? Where is he? Literally, where is he in this passage? Where is he? I, I, my... You got to speak a lot louder. He's praying. That's it. He's praying. Jesus is praying. And when you look at the prayers of Jesus throughout the Bible, the New Testament, you, you look at the things he prayed about. Did he just pray about himself? Did he just pray like you and I maybe sometimes do? Often do. We have our list of things we want. Well, it'd be nice if I could get this, and Lord, can you give me that? And Lord, I'd like to feel better about this, and Lord, can you do this for me? He had some things about himself he did pray about, and that's not necessarily wrong to do that, but he prayed about a lot of things, didn't he? He prayed for his disciples. And so included in his prayers were his disciples and what they were facing, and, and we can be sure he knew what was going on in their lives, and he was praying for them. So one of the things you and I need to remember is that he's praying for us too. Even in the middle. Even if we don't see him there. If we don't feel his presence that he's praying for us. In, in Romans chapter 8 it says that he's at the right hand of God and he's also interceding for us. He's praying for us. Hebrews chapter 7 verses 24 and 25 it says, but because Jesus lives forever he has a permanent priesthood Therefore, he is able to save completely 
those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. He's praying for you and for me. I read in a, in a commentary, someone says, you know, if you knew that Jesus was in the very next room praying for you, would it make you feel better? And that's, that's for you and I. We, we need to know He's like right there. He's praying for us. He's at the very throne of God interceding for you and for me. But not only that, what I pointed out earlier was the fact that Jesus said that they should go on ahead of Him to the other side. And He sent them to the other side. And if He sends you and I into the storm, He's going to get us to the other side as well. He's not going to send us out there and just let us, you know, paddle and try to make it on our own. Leave us halfway. Of course, the ultimate other side is what? Heaven. He's going to get us there. He's going to get us there. Though we sometimes wonder, Lord, I'm never going to make it. Never going to make it. Never going to get there. I'm stuck out here in the middle of this. But Paul said in Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He's going to finish it. He's not, he's not just going to leave us. He's going to get us to the other side. Verse 25. During the fourth watch of the night, that's between 3 to 6 a.m., Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Now, 3 to 6 a.m., that means that they've been out there for, you know, a long time because they probably went out before dark. And now it's between 3 to 6 a.m., and this is the darkest part of the night. You know, they say the darkest just before the dawn, the, that whole thing. So it's not only been a long time, but it's so dark now, and they didn't have little, you know, green lights and red lights on their boats like, you know, we have to now. You know, they're out, there, they're out there for hours and hours, and how much longer can I do this? How much longer before it, 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 we're just going to give up and sink? We're going to go down. But there he is. He shows up walking on the lake. His time is always right. His time is always right. In fact, someone pointed this out, that the very thing they feared was only a staircase for him to come to them. Those, you know, the wind and the waves, the waves were up and down, and Jesus was just walking on them just like they were a staircase, just like stepping stones for him to get to them. So, so in the middle of it, think about these very things that, that are buffeting us, these very things that we're going through. He, he, can, he walks right on top of them, and he even uses them to get to us. We don't think like that very often, do we? But Jesus is walking on the water. He's walking on the waves. And there's no problem for him. He's always above it all. But look what happens in verse 26 when they see him. When they saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. You'd think they'd be happy to see him. But they didn't recognize him out in the middle of that. They were scared by what was going on. And they hit the panic button. Not that you and I ever do that. I was thinking about this. Well, if, if the waves had been kind of calm, they could have seen him from a distance and they could have recognized him. Well, I think that's Jesus. Yeah, he kind of walks like Jesus. He, he's got, yeah, he's got the beard and the robe. It's, it could be Jesus. But because it was so stormy and everything's going, all of a sudden he's just there. 
But then I was thinking, well, if it had been calm like that, well, they wouldn't have been out there anymore. They would have already gotten to the other side, right? Because the wind and everything kept them from getting to the other side. So it wouldn't have happened that way at all. In the middle of the storm is where Jesus shows up. You think about, what is it, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? They're in the middle of the, in the, in the, middle of the fiery furnace, right? And it's heated hotter than ever so they can, you know, and, and they get thrown in there in the book of Daniel, right? And, and right in the middle of the fire, there was, they look in and they see, well, there's, wait, there's like four in there. And the fourth looked like a son of God. He's in there with him in the middle of the fire. He's in there with these disciples in the middle of the storm. Immediately Jesus said to them, verse 27, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. I think we should memorize those words. What great words those are for you and for me in the middle of the storms. Take courage. It's I. Don't be afraid. That word, it is I, is, is literally I am. And this takes us back to the name of God from Exodus 3 where he says, I am. Moses said, who shall I say sent me? He says, tell them that I am has sent you. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jesus says, I am. The I am is here. The great creator of the universe is here. And he's, he's there with you and I. He says, don't be afraid. Take courage. I'm here. Satan wants to spread fear. Jesus defeats fear. He says, don't be afraid. Over and over and again in the scripture, we find this. Don't fear. Don't be afraid. Fear not. Over and over again. Because we're prone to fear. We are. If we're willing to admit it, we're fearful. But Jesus defeats fear. His perfect love casts out all fear. That's the word of God. And again, for you and I to grab a hold of it and to hold on to it. Peter hears these words. And he, I think, this is my take on this. He gets really, really inspired. Some say, oh, no, he's just wanting to show off. He's just wanting to be, you know... You know, let everybody know that he was the big guy in the crowd and all this stuff. No, I think he just gets inspired. And, and, and this is part of his personality. He gets excited like, wow, this is so cool. Verse 28, he says, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Could be translated, Lord, since it's you. I don't think he was questioning if it was Jesus. He just got fired up. And I think he wanted to get out there with Jesus. And he knew that if Jesus told him to come, he would enable him to do it. And notice this, though, too, that he didn't just presume. Maybe he's done that before. Maybe we've done that, too. We presume that, that Jesus is saying one thing or another, and we just kind of jump out and go for it. But he asked, Lord, if, you, you know, if it's you, tell me to come. He's asking permission. He's asking for God's you know, blessing on it. And what was Jesus' response? He says in verse 29, simply come. Come, he said. The simple word of Jesus. It doesn't get any simpler than that, does it? You know, we make things so complicated. Jesus just says, come. And what did he do? It says, Peter got down out of the boat. He walked on the water and he came toward Jesus. He got down out of the boat. Are you and I willing to do that? 
The water was still rough. It didn't get calm. He was kind of going from the frying pan into the fire, but he had the word of Jesus come, he said. And he got out of the boat and he stepped onto the water and it says that he walked on the water. He did the impossible because he was obedient and because he listened to the voice of Jesus and he came toward Jesus. What happens next? We know what happens next, of course, because we've heard the story and there's been hundreds and hundreds and thousands of sermons preached about this. We know what happens. Verse 30. He says, But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and he beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Peter looked around at the circumstances, and fear overtook him, and he began to sink. Say, Peter, man, you're like a roller coaster. You're up and you're down, you're up and you're down. And, and yeah, but aren't, aren't we like that? His faith at least got him out of the boat. At least he took some steps. At least he was willing to do something, to do anything. Someone said he is an example of both faith and unbelief. But someone else said this, before we criticize him for sinking, let's honor him for his magnificent demonstration of faith. He dared to be different. Anybody, and this is the the part I like, anybody can sit in the boat and watch. Ooh, what's he doing? What's that other guy? What's that girl doing? That's pretty dumb that they would try something like that. Man, what nerve. Who do they think they are? You know, we we, we sit there and we judge and we we make all these, you know, uh, statements and that, but, but Peter was willing just to go for it. He says, he goes on to say, it takes a person of real faith to leave the boat and walk on the water. Yeah, he got out there and he started looking around, but at least he got out there. And he started looking around, yes, he began to sink, but then it says that he looked back to Jesus. He cries out to Jesus, Lord, save me. So he looks to Jesus in faith and he walks on the water. He looks away and he begins to sink, but it says that he looks back. Isn't that another good example? For you and for me, get out of the boat, do something, do anything. But yeah, it could be scary out there. And there are storms out there. And there is a lot of stuff going on there. But but, but get out and do something, do anything. Yeah, you might sink a little bit, but you can always turn back to the Lord if you start looking around and you start freaking out, hitting the panic button. It says in verse 31, it says, Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. And he's there to catch us too. And he, but he also, of course, says this to Peter, you of little faith, why did you doubt? It was a lesson for him. Don't doubt. Hold on. Keep your eyes on me. Don't look around. That's a lesson. That's the sermon that has been preached so many times about this passage. Don't look around. Don't doubt. Hold on to me. Keep your eyes focused on me. Don't doubt my word. Verse 32, it says, And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And then those who were with him in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. They got out their guitars and their keyboards and their PA system, and they got it all plugged in, and they said, You know, now we're going to have some worship. (coughs) Why? Because they saw what Jesus did. They saw Jesus taking care of Peter. They saw the ways be calmed down. They saw good what God was, was doing. Worship isn't just music. You, you all know that, right? We say that, well, this is our worship time or whatever, but, but worship is simply confessing who he is 
and adoring Him. Receive our adoration. That's when you and I are alone with Him and we're, we're offering up to him, to him our lives and our hearts and giving Him glory. Jesus, they said, truly, you are the Son of God. Finally, verse 34 through 36, it says, When they crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place had recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. And people brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak. And all who touched him were healed. Jesus continues to do what only he can do and what he wants to do in your life and my life. If I could only just touch the hem of his cloak, the hem of his garment, he'll heal. If I could only reach out and touch Jesus, what he could do in my life. He's available here today. He's available here right now. When we pray, I want to give you that opportunity to reach out and touch Jesus. Because he's here. He wants, to, he wants to work. He wants to give us that perspective we heard about. He wants us to know that he, that he relates to us, that he came and took a human body. One commentator says this, the Christian life, like walking on water, is humanly impossible. It can only be lived by the power of the Holy Spirit. And as long as we look away from every other object to Jesus only, we can experience a supernatural life. But the minute we become occupied with ourselves or our circumstances, we begin to sink. And then we must cry to Christ for restoration and divine enablement. I want to experience a supernatural life. But it's not us. It's not our ability. It's keeping our eyes on Jesus, following him. So a few, a few points to remember this. Number one is that we're safe in his will. No matter where he sends us and he's praying for us and his prayers are effective and he will get us to the other side. You remember that passage where Jesus speaking to Simon Peter. He says, he says these words uh, that, that Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. Right? But Jesus says to him, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. He says, but he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Peter... Jesus said, I, I, I prayed for you. Your faith isn't going to fail. Yeah, he denied the Lord, but you know what? He still had faith in him. He really fell pretty hard that time, though, didn't he? We see later in the book of John where Jesus restores him. But Satan wants to sift you and I like wheat, too. But, but the Lord says that he's interceding for us. <clears throat> and that when we get through it, too, we can go and share our experience with someone else and strengthen them to get, for them to get through as well. The second point, Jesus still says, take courage. It's I, don't be afraid. I want to repeat those words enough here today, knowing that they're the words of Jesus and that you and I will remember them, that in the middle of the storm, we still hear those words, take courage. It's I, don't be afraid. 
Number three, keep our faith in him. Don't doubt. Keep our eyes on him, not on the circumstances, not on the trials, not on the waves, not on the wind. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, says in Hebrews. But also, if we do look away, turn back. The way is always open. Always open. And finally, the fourth point is worship him. Worship him, the son of God. Truly you are the Son of God, they said. And they worshipped Him. We bow the knee before Him. We worship Him as Almighty God. You and I, we are sinners and we need a Savior. Jesus came and He died upon a cross to save us. He was buried and He rose from the dead. And you and I, all we need to do is put our trust in Him. That's all we need to do. And give Him our lives. I want to ask you this morning, have you done that? We all know about the trials and the the things that happen in life, but, but if we don't have the Savior in our lives, we don't know anything. We don't know anything. And so I want to give you this opportunity this morning as we pray to simply say yes to Jesus Christ. I also want to give an opportunity to each one of us to simply maybe we're in the middle of that or maybe we're coming into a trial, a storm, or maybe we're just heading out of one that we know that Jesus is alive and he's still the Son of God and he will be and he always will be. He has been. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. For you to look and refocus back upon him. Let's pray together, shall we? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. It is living, it's active, it's powerful. It gets into us because it's so powerful. And this is not just a story, but this is a true account of of Jesus, the Son of God, and his relationship with his disciples and by application relationship with us. Lord, where you lead us, may we follow. We know that you even lead us sometimes into storms and trials and difficulties. And we say, Lord, why? We say, Lord, not now. We say, Lord, finish this. How long? Psalm 13, the writer says. How long? How long? How long? But you are God and you are on the throne and you are above the trials and the troubles and the wind and you walk on those things to get to us. And you are faithful and we can trust you and forgive us when we doubt, Lord. Maybe right now some of you need to refocus. You've looked away, you're sinking. And you need to right now say, Lord, I I turn back to you. I turn to you to look to you, to worship you, for truly you are the Son of God. I want to give you a few moments, if that's you, to simply make that confession before him. Maybe it's others of you who need today to grab a hold of the hem of the garment of Jesus and give your life to him. 
He said he was the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but through him. There is no other way that, that we can find eternal life but through the name and the power and the love of Jesus Christ. If that's you this morning, I want to give you a moment as well to simply make peace with God through Jesus Christ. You can pray with me and simply say, Jesus, you died for me. I'm a sinner. And I need your love and care that you gave to me on that cross. And so today I surrender. Today I give my life to you. Be my Lord and be my Savior today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together and sing that song.